This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. Alex, what's up, dude? Hey, man. Good to see you. Good. I can't pronounce the company name. We, we get that. We get that a lot. Uh, the company is Iapetus Holdings. Iapetus Holdings. Well, we had a great chat, uh, like for at least probably 30 minutes before you got on the podcast. So I'm hoping we remember half this stuff that we talked about. Um, so what, what do you guys do at Iapetus Holdings? So, you know, we're a family office that operates a bunch of businesses, uh, you know, everything kind of involving energy in any respect, you know, be it renewables, be it services across the board, we can be there to help you. Um, you know, we started about 15 years ago as a really simple, simple energy brokerage company. But, you know, we're a bunch of entrepreneurs and we've taken that further and we've built a bunch of other businesses from that point on to retail energy and what's now our biggest business, which is a field services business. So energy brokerage is, is probably not something that uh, I'd say probably at least half the audience probably has no clue what that means. Can you yeah, write that down? I will. So I'll give you some background on myself and that kind of falls into it. Yeah. So, you know, I spent the first 15 years of my career oil and gas trading. Uh, so most of my career is at Goldman Sachs. And whenever a trader needs to do a transaction, especially in any over-the-counter market, they intermediate it through a broker. So they, it's kind of like when you're buying a house, you have a broker, same kind of concept, just much higher frequency all the time, every day. And so our founder, Craig Taylor, who actually was, was a lawyer by training, saw this opportunity uh, you know, 15, 16 years ago and started this brokerage business to help intermediate transactions. Um, that's how all of us originally got connected um, and it's, it's, it's a very vanilla, you know, uh, business where it's, it's, it's a cash flow business where, you, you know, you intermediate transactions and, and you get paid for doing so. Mm-hmm. So one of the things you said uh, when we were chatting prior was that you guys had a very successful brokerage business. And is that continuing to, it's, to it, I'm on? actually the president of that business right okay. now. Um, it's, it's, it's a great business. It runs very well. We got a lot of really great guys. Um, it's definitely, you know, brokerage is, is one of the oldest businesses in the, in the world, you know, and so. Uh, it's definitely, um, it, it's a business we really enjoy, but it's kind of led us down the path to a lot of our other businesses. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like you guys are just entrepreneurs through and through based on our conversation today. That's and right. so you guys have taken the cash flows from that and just started making a bunch of investments. Exactly. You know, we follow kind of a, a different entrepreneurial path from kind of what you see in general um, in Silicon Valley. We like to build cash flowing businesses that allow us to kind of make decisions on our own. Um, it has limited some of our growth, if you if, if you will, over the years, because we're pretty focused on building good foundations and strong businesses. Mm-hmm. But so Craig Craig was the original founder of, of Atlas. And so that was okay. the name of all of our businesses or most of our client facing businesses are Atlas something. And so Atlas Commodities is our brokerage business. Okay. Um, in 2011, uh, Tej uh, Singh, who I started my career with at Goldman Sachs, he was an electricity trader. He joined up with Craig. And they started taking the free cash flows from those businesses and, and building new businesses, basically mm-hmm. applying our methodology, using our connections, using really, really, we just listened to our clients. And we got quite a bit of an inkling that this is a good extension of our existing business with sales and same client base. And so we built that business starting in 2011. Um, that worked out, fortunately, and that business, again, is growing, still exists today. And our, our next business, which is now our largest business, was uh, Atlas Field Services. Um, which started in 2015 and really works with utilities to help with their grid. It helps we do safety work and we do something called vegetation management, which kind of just helps ensure that the power lines 
are as safe as possible uh, from trees, trees falling into them. So, so with that one, you said it was Atlas Field Services? Atlas Field right? Services. Was that one that you, you guys saw the opportunity with the clients through uh, some of the other businesses and then you guys launch this and then, you know, you know, put in, uh, you know, executive management team and kind of grew it from there. Or was this like you made an acquisition or was this like you, yep. I don't know, found a founder we're, and made an investment? Frankly, we're, or frankly, like, we're, we're pretty bootstrap old school yeah. kind of guys. So, um, you know, we go out with our clients a lot. We've been in the business overall, oil and gas, energy, utilities, et cetera, for a long period of time. It was as simple as we were out with some guys. Um, they were mentioning a problem that they had heard. We had met some other folks that had small inklings into this space and no we started with you know one employee uh one employee putting it together um we, we've never raised any capital uh, ever for our business so it's it's all just held by the by the management team um and it started with one person learned a little bit more dipped in further hired a second guy and it grew to 400 people while walking up and down power lines you know throughout throughout the country so it's 400 within that one company? Or yeah, it- so that's our biggest business. We're yeah. probably about 500 people overall, um, okay. and 400 of those um, fit, fall into Atlas Field Services, as well as um, another company, GCUS, which is our, our, the union arm. Some mm-hmm. basic utilities, sometimes you need to have uh, union employees, sometimes you need to have um, non-union employees, and so. So with it being a little bit of a different model than, say, like private equity, right? Because you said you guys didn't take any money. It's more of like a family office business, but you guys started this. How involved are you in, say, like Atlas Field Services? Like, I mean, are you actively involved? Are you we like are split your time? all the way actively involved every single day on, on everything. So the way we're set up is we have Iapetus Holdings. And yeah. within Iapetus Holdings, which is where I sit, which is where Craig sits, it's a pretty small management team. It's myself, Craig Tej. We have a general counsel. We have credit. We have HR. We have marketing. Um, pretty small team. We think of it as like a shared services model. Um, I mean, we're no, nothing like Berkshire, but kind of that kind of mm-hmm. model where we offer our expertise, um, we help control the finances, we help make decisions, um, but pretty much we're involved in uh, every single component of all the businesses. Now, what I certainly am not is I'm not a tree guy. I can't, I can't walk up to a tree and be like, this tree has uh, beetles in it, let's cut it down. No. So for stuff like that, we bring in people that have, have that experience, have been doing it for a long period of time. And we let them give us all the guidance from that standpoint. And where we come in is you know, all the all the business stuff, all the other stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like legal stuff, this stuff, you know, so on and so forth. But we are out there in front of the clients all the time. Um, you know, between all of us, we just tag team it. You know, mm-hmm. we don't really have a set formula. Hey, you do this and you do that. We're just a bunch of entrepreneurs figuring it out piece by piece. This reminds I mean, I'm a completely different level. Uh, <laughs> but this reminds me of me and Con like four or five years ago. And I think that we were paralleling like I don't know, probably like four or five things at a yep. time. Um, I think it was really, it wasn't like we didn't have any money. Um, we were throwing a lot of shit at the wall to kind of see what would stick. This was being, this is one of them. This is the thing that stuck. Yep. Um, but, you know, we tried, you know, operating. We bought some wells in Oklahoma. We were doing uh, very accidental uh, technology consulting. That was like something that landed in our lap. Um, I was building a tech startup at the time. There was like a lot of different like moving parts. And yep. it was like, I don't know. It was like it, it Thinking about it now, it seems like almost chaotic, but at the same time, it's like it is there's something cool and gratifying about like seeing opportunities and maybe that other people don't see or maybe in businesses that are not like overly sexy. Yep. Like we talked about, you know, pressure washing earlier, right. like exactly. one of the least sexiest businesses, but yep. it was like really, really cool to be able to build. Maybe we'll get into this on the podcast. I don't know. But I built a little pressure washing business from yep. like nothing to like something substantial and then just shut it down whenever I didn't want to do it anymore. Um 
so I think that that's like really interesting. I think it's it's almost kind of, kind of like I think if the if you're not an entrepreneur, the closest thing you can get to that is like management consulting by you getting a different taste of a lot of different things to where it like keeps things fun and like keeps things exciting, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, we, we call it organized chaos, quite frankly, yeah. you know, and um, especially as you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, even though our actual, you know, our revenue and these pieces are pretty large, you know, no one is too, we really keep ego aside and no one is too big or too small for really any opportunity. There's constant new forms of fires coming up all the time and it's just next man up, step in, I'll take this, you take that. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of trust in each other um, and we're really thorough. And so we piece it all together kind of accordingly. But a lot of it is just, you know, we listen to what our clients have to say. And you mentioned management consulting. We're kind of the the non-management consultants because we listen to what they say. We don't charge them for that component. And then we go and find the solution and build them that solution. Instead of telling them their problems, we just listen to their problems and then we actually give them the solution. So un- unpack that a little bit. So you're talking about working with clients and you're realizing that they're having issues and maybe there's an example of yeah, this and how, yeah. it, how it yielded one of their businesses. Absolutely. So Atlas Retail Energy is, uh, is, our, um, is our retail energy business, as, it, as mm-hmm. it's so aptly yeah. named. Uh, and so uh, we have very good relationships with our customers there. You know, And they range from large industrial sites to amusement parks to just anyone that consumes a, bu- a bunch of electricity and is not residential, that would fall into our client base. And with what's been going on in the ESG space, you know, a lot of them are really kind of concern, focus, what can they do to manage this better? Mm-hmm. Um, now, what a lot of them have done and has not worked out so well is, you know, they go to like McKinsey and they're like, hey, we know we have a problem. What should we do with this? They spend a whole lot of money. They get handed a new set of things they don't understand and, and, and nothing really occurs. Rather than that, we listen to them and we say, okay, well, here's your current consumption. Here's this and that, you know, piecing this together, sustainability is very, very complicated. Like it's a very nascent business. People don't understand. And so we say to them, okay, well, let me understand your portfolio. We already understand your consumption. I'm going to just show up turnkey solutions for you. So one example, uh, amusement park, they had a whole bunch of land uh, available next to them. Their electricity prices are quite high in this regulated market. And they couldn't do much about it. I was like, okay, well, what's this piece of land um, doing sitting here? And they're like, we don't know. We've owned this for like 50 years and it's just sitting there. So now we're building a solar field on it, you know, and rather than mm-hmm. us saying, okay, well, let's throw all these other kind of other problems at you, or let's give you 5,000 uh, solutions, none of which you can effectuate. We distilled it all the way down to a one presentation. Here are two options. This is the one we like. And if you like it, and you're presenting, we'll run the whole process. Are these you. like are these other solar companies to come in and you essentially like sublease out the land or you do some sort of like. So for this one specifically, because of, you know, electricity and, and is a very complicated market, each state and each county have vastly different rules for this one specifically. It was, we have a bunch of, of, of builders that, of projects that we like. For this specific county, you have to actually own the project. And so they will own the project when it's done, but we found the guys to build it. We found a perfect match for them and we're able to get a return on equity for them. Because you know a lot of people are trying to solve this problem. Hey, I want to be green. I want to be all these things. But then you, know, you see the costs associated with it and people associate you know, being, being green with losing money. And we try to push people away from that as yeah. much as possible. We're like, well, there's a lot of really kind of thoughtful ways to do so. But again, instead of giving you a thousand more problems, I'm going to present you with a simple solution. And that tends to work out. Mm-hmm. So, in that, so in that instance, was that was, were you presenting them essentially in a brand new business that you guys were? We had we had worked, So we had we had the capability and the expertise and we had talked to folks about this a large number of times. 
the world yet was just not at a place where mm-hmm. they were really willing to spend the extra effort to get it to get it done. Quite frankly, energy yeah. prices were really low. You know, this is like 2020. Energy prices yeah. are really low. Um, there's 10,000 other problems going on. There's not the consumer pull to do this. Um, so we had presented these solutions a number of times and we have the expertise to do so, but it was kind of hard to really push it through. And then the amount of asks we got went just, you know, exponential. Um, and whereas we would certainly spend the time and have the information, it went from that to we're doing these now kind of all the time. And mm-hmm. so that was us just pivoting. We're saying, listen, we have the intellectual capability for this and we have the knowledge base just in case, but in terms of throwing a ton of resources at it, you know, we don't build it and then see if it comes. When there is a problem, we solve it for you. Mm-hmm. So where do you spend? So your your role is uh, business development, yep. right? And that, and that's kind of the responsibility you take with the team. Um, where do you spend most of your time? Because I know you said you're you're president of still the of the trading business. Is it is it sitting in the weeds um, with with clients and with some of the other partners and just identifying what the new opportunities are, or is it? Are you sitting around just thinking about like what new businesses can we start? Or I'm just kind of thinking yeah, like I'm trying great, to get in, it's a great question. Trying to get inside it's, your head. You know, that's a great question, and and like I, I get asked that one kind of all the time, and it comes back to kind of your organized chaos or my organized chaos comment from before is. Every single day, there's a new set of, I, I hear certain different things from clients. I hear different um, problems we have. And I'm just like blocking and tackling and also being offensive across all of our businesses. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, uh, our newest business is, is, a, is a drone inspection business. That's actually the first business that we ever actually made any sort of uh, acquisition. As I mentioned, we built all our other business from scratch. Um, we uh, bought this small company, Skynet West, in early 2020. Um, quite frankly, I knew nothing about drones. Um, you know, I knew I, they were kind of cool and I could fly them, but there's a big difference between like a thousand dollar drone you can fly around and like a $75,000 commercial drone. Yeah. So we bought this very small business and I spent the next six months like deep diving into what that is. Spent a lot of time mm-hmm. with our operator, you know, military founded company, minority founded company, just like we are as well. Um, got into the weeds, talked to him about it a lot. What was limiting your growth in the past? Okay, what are you good at? What am I good at? And the things that he was good at, which is actually operating them, I you know took the rest of stuff off his plate. I'm like, how about you focus on uh, better operations, better supplies, all these other components, and I'll work on all the other pieces, our marketing strategy, our this strategy, our illegal, you know, so on and so forth. And so, the, and then big thing with drone businesses, you have to get kind of to scale, um, and you have to perform these big utility jobs mm-hmm. or we do inspections on bridges and tunnels. We do utility lines. We do oil and gas lines, kind of all of the above. To really be able to flex up to these bigger projects, we needed a couple more things. And so my solution was, well, we can either hire organically for that, which we, we thought about, um, or B, what if I can find a slightly larger but uh, team or company that has all the pieces that we're missing to do that scale? And so I set out on finding some companies and we bought another company based out of Mississippi, also military owned. Um, called Soaring Eagle uh, Imaging, and we and we merged them, and now we have Soaring Eagle Technologies. Um, mm-hmm. Our plan from here is probably more um, or- organic growth, but you know we kind of wanted to pay to play to learn a little bit about the space, mm-hmm. and then what we are good at is putting resources behind things that that make sense. Yeah, and so now that company is growing exponentially, and it's a great latch on or a complementary piece to our field services business because. Our field service business is very picks and shovels. Like you are, we have trucks, we have guys in trucks, that we have 400 certified arborists that are going up and down power lines that know way more about trees than I know about pretty much anything. And 
But some areas, and it's a very, our, our, our infrastructure is pretty challenged right now. In some areas they get to, think about California, you can't walk to a lot of these places. And mm-hmm. like, we're a safety business, you know, overall, and we're really focused on safety. And, you know, we won't let our guys or they are smart enough not to go into areas that are dangerous. So, you know, what's a solution to that? Well, let's pair them up with a drone guy who, when they get to a place that's not accessible, he can pop his drone mm-hmm. up, fly it over. And again, from that safety angle, they're using helicopters right now. You know, I think Kobe most of all brought to our attention how dangerous helicopters are. They are very, very dangerous, um, especially if there's smoke or fires. And so we just, you know, we hear our clients, what matters? Safety, checking our infrastructure, um, you know, uh, more cost effective, all of which we're checking all those buckets. And again, instead of telling them their problem, which they generally already know, we're saying, hey, we're doing this already. Here's something additionally we can do that can also um, mm-hmm. improve all the standards you're, you need. And we can, we, we're not going to get paid for telling you that. We're going to get paid for doing the work for you. So, so are most of your businesses complimentary? You know, I, I think we like to think that, yes, they do have a lot of inter, they're all energy related in some capacity. And so, you know, we're not going to go and start a company that we have. There's a lot of really smart people out there who are doing a lot of really interesting things. And so we know what our background is, you know, my background, oil and gas, electricity, infrastructure, same for the entire management team. And so we want to do things where we know what we're doing and or can even kind of quite frankly cut through the bullshit when we're hiring someone and, you know, someone can, can sell you all the bells and whistles you want. And they and and you know, even on drones on the front end, you know, the, the guy can say pretty much anything to me. And I'm like, yeah, sure. That sounds reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why we deep dove and got into it. And so yeah. really for the sniff test, we stay within a space um, that s- provides cross selling or mm-hmm. some other way where one business in some capacity helps better inform us for those other businesses. It's just like trading. What I always told people is trade something when you have edge. You know, if you don't have any edge and you don't offer anything, you're probably like the dunce in the room. And so try to avoid that as much as possible. So energy is the common thread. So you're That's not the like, like we talked about, you know, Colin and I love um, car washes. So like yep. great Great cash flowing business, but that's not like y'all's thesis, like it should be. I mean, we do. So, you know, what I was talking about thus far is so we have, you know, Iapetus Holdings, and then within that, we have these these operating businesses. Um, and so in terms of the ones that we are going to be actively managing, um, there happens to date right now, there's so much opportunity there that we're like, okay, well, let's continue to put it into that. Yeah. Um, now, there are times where that is less so the case, and there's times where that's more so the case. And so we fortunately have been a very positive cash flowing business pretty much from the start. And so we also have, you know, an investment arm that's kind of separate from the business where we will strategically invest in things like real estate or we would invest in a car wash business. But we want to invest in businesses we understand and they mm. tend to be cash flow businesses or at least good pathways to cash flow. You know, we're, we're, we're not generally in the camp of, hey, let's just unlimitedly raise until, you know, we go public. And there's, yeah. there's other companies that are better at that than we are. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to compete with people that are better than us. We want to be better at what we're doing. Yeah. So you guys do make investments, but it's yep. just in just kind of like random things that you understand. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's, it's random things where we think that we can add value uh, as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you know, it's like starting companies that if you're going to welcome someone to your business or onto your board or something like that, you know, we're not... Uh, we want to be able to help them be successful because there's no shortage of money out there. And we don't really want to be just the passive person on the side that writes you a check and then we're gone because we do think we offer some expertise. And so we want to be partnering with folks 
that we can help them, they yeah. also can help us. Like yeah. we, we love it when they have skill sets, which is very common that we don't have. It makes us smarter in the area as well. We make them smarter. We can maybe help them with some of our shared services. And so we just want to continue to add value to the people that we're investing in. So outside of the stuff that you guys are either, you know, you own or you're invested in currently kind of looking out, just, I'm kind of curious to see what you're seeing, you know, out there right now. Are there any other types of businesses or certain sectors that you feel like you're really excited about where there's a lot of opportunity? Yeah. I mean, the area, which is just such, you know, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, like, you know, there's all this kind of conception that like oil and gas is one area and, you know, utilities is a different area. We think of it as a full energy spectrum and, uh, you know, it's, that's the biggest business in the world is energy. And so. Amen. We, yeah. So we think that like thinking about that holistically, which I think a lot of retail folks do not, and where we can kind of help oil and gas through the others, through renewables, or we can help renewables through oil and gas. It's just energy to us. Um, and so, you know, within that, we have a lot of folks just because of where the growth happens to be that, you know, are on oil and gas, but want some help with some, you know, renewable aspects um, that that we're pretty helpful with. So I think anything in the environmental remediation space, um, which is basically, you know, cleaning things up or doing things a certain way, um, safety work is an area that we feel like we've just tapped a sliver of. And our field services business really is just a safety business. We go and we make sure you did cut the tree. We go and make sure that we're not, we don't spend a lot of money on large capex. You know, we don't have a bunch of cranes, you know, we have mostly trucks. Um, and where we spend the most of our money is on our people. And we want to focus on high margin, high quality people. And so that vertical is 10 miles wide. And that's the area for us where we feel like we can, we can expand the most. So let's play. I've never done this before, yep. but since Colin's not here, we're going to do it. Um, I'm just going to say a word <laughs> and you say, are you bull or bear? Okay. Okay. Yep. Crypto. Uh, bull. Bull. Yeah. Bitcoin specifically. I, I would say I'm more of a Bitcoinist. So more okay. bull to that. I, I Overall, I think it's all just a big experiment. Mm. Um, I do think that we will have uh, ongoing store of value. But you know, the last two, the question is very interesting because the last two weeks are certainly uh, testing it. I, I'm bull. It's resilient. It's 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 very resilient compared because, to 2017, 2018. Yeah, I mean, like we still have to see, um, uh, you know, a, a little bit. Like it definitely is an experiment. So it's, I'm definitely not like a bull, a Bitcoin maximalist, where I think, you know, hey, you have a uh, billion dollars and you have it all in Bitcoin. I think that that is absolutely insane. Um, I do think that the technology offers a lot of very very interesting things and. The financialization of currency and the decentralization of currency does make a lot of sense. We're printing a lot of money. There's a lot of government mm -hmm. things going on. So I think there's a lot of value to the technology, but I think I would put it as a percentage, uh, you know, small percentage of a portfolio, even just to learn about yeah. the space. We're pretty connected to the space as well because they consume a lot of electricity. Um, and so we have a lot of clients that are miners and, and these kind of folks. And so that, you know, it falls into, do we have edge in any sort of knowledge in the space? And we help supply a lot of those guys with yeah. electricity. NFTs? Bear. Bear? Yeah. Uh, metaverse? Bear, but mostly because I don't want it to be a thing. Yeah. You know, like, like Zuckerberg's concept of what the world should be like is very far from my concept. Mm -hmm. Now, that does not mean, agree. That, that, does not mean that it's not going to generate a whole bunch of money and become really popular. I just don't want that. I don't want Ready Player One to be the world that I'm living in. And I like people. Um, and that to me is not the best way. I like sitting in person, like COVID hurt a lot of people in a lot of ways. It was horrendous. 
the social impact of me not being around people was very detrimental to my day-to-day mood. Yeah, my no, I, I agree. Like it was very painful. Believe it or not, yeah. believe it or not, nobody believes this. I'm actually introverted. Uh, I have to turn on the the extroverted side of me. But like when it's not on, like I'm totally content just yep. being in my head and just thinking and being alone. I enjoy that, like traveling alone, being in a room alone, like all of that. Totally cool with it. Um, but COVID hit and I'm like, I like was craving just like not even talking to people, just being in a room with people and just like feeling people's energy because you're just like, I don't know, you're just like stuck at home for extended periods of time. You're just like not seeing anyone. You're not going to the store. You're not going out to eat. It's a little weird. It was a it's weird the feeling. most human thing is social interaction. One of my favorite books is a book called Sapiens. Talks about how there were a whole bunch of other kind of competing humanoids, you know, uh, whatever, hundreds of thousands of years ago, millions, whatever the, the, mm-hmm. the time is. And we weren't actually the smartest. Um, the thing that really differentiated us is our ability to work together and our social interaction. And that's what allowed us to kind of become the dominant species that, that we are today. And so you're saying that there was a lot of other like Homo things- erectus and there's all these like, you know, it's Homo than, than sapiens, but there was yeah. like all these other kind of human you know, Neanderthals, you know, mm-hmm. um, that lived, they believe, some of them commensurately at the same time. And and a lot of argument, even though you say you're a Neanderthal, that's negative. That's more because of the look of them, is that they were actually belief that they could have been more intelligent um, than us, but they did not work together and their their vocal cords were not as developed as ours. And so mm. the what made us us today and look what we built in this world today is no one can do anything alone. Like, you know, and so our ability to work together, our ability to interact. Though right now, these days, it does feel like people are very (laughs) far apart. In reality, the most human thing is social interaction and it's it's core. And and so I feel you. You're just sitting at home. You're like, I just I just want to have a coffee or a beer. It seems decisive. But as we're seeing with this whole Twitter thing play out with Elon, it could just (laughs) all be bots the whole time. It could just be it could just be China and Russia sowing dissent via bots because there's already proof of that on Facebook. Oh, so much. With a lot of like the big Facebook groups are actually run by like these state run organizations that are coming in. Like, I think it was like eight of the 10 like top Christian groups on Facebook are run by Russia. It's that's it's just I mean, that's and that goes back to your metaverse question where I'm like, guys, can we just maybe like sit down and have a beer together and talk yeah. in person? So I, I know that you uh, are there and we can just kind of figure things out. And I do think that ascension of social media has led to why, you know, people have been push more into these groups and people can't work together anymore. Cause you yeah. know, you sit down with someone, you have a conversation. Um, you know, I was, I tell my employees all the time. I'm like, you know, he's like, I sent an email and they didn't respond. I'm like, you know how many emails people get, you know, mm-hmm. obviously email podcasts, all these things are very valuable, but they are tools in the toolkit. I'm like, did you try picking up the phone and calling him? Or did you try setting up, you know, and go and have a beer with him? And I think we're losing some of that skill set. I think we need just like energy. We need all forms of energy. We also need all forms of communication. And yeah. if we get too much into one, then we lose out on the others. Dude, that's that's 100 percent spot on. It was one of the things that, yeah, especially being an introvert. And I, f- I remember, you know, 2013 kind of getting out and, and just kind of getting involved in like the Houston kind of entrepreneurship scene, getting involved kind of in the energy scene. There was nothing back then. Right. There was nothing back then. I don't want to tune around horn, but I feel like we've we've definitely changed the the kind of the landscape and just giving people more of a venue and a platform to to do these kinds of things through the conferences and through energy tech nights. And back in the day, it was just like happy hours. But man, back then there was like nothing. There was like nothing going on. But there just showing nothing. up and being like, hey, I'm just gonna figure out how to talk to people, you know? Yeah, well, it was just it was just, you know, 
it was an industry that needed that needed change. And so that's why when you piece it all together, you know, again, that was too much in one direction. It's just happy hours, you know, yeah. it, versus it's all just kind of um, uh, platforms. You know, yeah. I think we have so many tools. Like if I'm building a house, I don't say, well, I have a hammer, you know, like, well, you need a bunch of different tools. And I think sometimes people get too down the path with just one, whereas we should be using every single tool that is available to us at all times. I mean, yeah, Houston, you know, I, so I'm born and raised in New York City. I moved here in 2011 um, to, to open our, uh, our our office. And, you know, I love this town. I don't plan on leaving. Um, you know, I, I'm such a New Yorker that my friends could not believe like what I'm saying, but I've been here for almost 12 years and I'm, I'm not looking back, you know, and the way in which the city and the state has evolved is fantastic. And I think kind of some of the things you're mm-hmm. talking about have played a really big role in that. And the sense of community that really has evolved in Houston per se is, is is fantastic. And and we're not just like what many people perceive. Okay, this is an oil and gas city. This is a, this. We are a so many things city. And now that we're kind of talking more across each other in, in a productive way, I think that the runway is fantastic. A big goal for us is to continue to. You know, we've always been known as an oil and gas city, but I think for us, it's it's really making sure that we everybody knows that we hold the crown for the energy city moving forward and i right. think with a lot of the especially conferences and stuff that we had, we had talked about yep. um uh the one in october being a big part of that is just like we are we are the mecca for energy and just really solidifying like no one like it's not boston it's not it's not denver it's not austin it's no like it is houston and it will continue to be houston the most innovative industry in the world is the energies, oil and gas, et cetera, industry, you know, like people think it's so easy that we casually have a hundred million barrels a day coming out of the ground every single day. It's not only that it's getting to the right places. It's complex logistics. You know, I made the joke earlier. This is not like spindle top and we're like shooting a gun in the ground and oil is gushing out. Mm -hmm. This is super complicated, unbelievably hard problems to tackle. I mean, they have survived so many different cycles of, of boom and bust. You think about 2020 oil going negative. If, if they're able to survive that and the innovation that's ex- that exists there, when we talk about things like climate change or other just global problems that we have, there is no industry that can solve that other than the energy industry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like uh, Silicon Valley does a lot of really interesting things. You cannot sass your way to a solution for this. You need engineers. You need the talent that exists in the city and. You know, something I love so much about this city it is so commercial. Like if you're an oil, if you come from oil and gas at all or energy at all, you are generally a commercial person because you're usually betting on yourself. You're wildcatting. You're doing this. It's, it's it's really really entrepreneurial by nature, and I think that sometimes gets lost from outside of the city, outside of the state, and something that we really need to focus and hold on to. I think you're spot on. I think that the I think it's maybe the hubris of of, of Silicon Valley of people that. Especially right now, especially with anything having to do with with this climate change or quote unquote climate tech, whatever that means, yep. uh, or anything with carbon, um, you're just seeing just a ton of money flow into it. Or at least over the past, let's call it six to twelve months. That's changing yeah, really now. Like COVID, like it was like it was like you know, COVID happened, and then people started to have a sense of community and how global things are, and and like these conversations were happening. But yes, yeah, since then and us coming out of that, it's just been parabolic. Yeah, but I, but I say that to say that I think that a lot of these solutions, and I mirror your sentiment, a lot of the innovation is going to come from within the energy industry. Spot totally. on. I think that if if it came down to a company that's raised $200 million with absolutely no energy experience planning to tackle something around climate change or carbon or something like that versus somebody who's raised 
nothing or maybe it's bootstrap, but they come from energy and they have like deep, deep domain expertise. I'm betting on the latter. I couldn't agree more. It's a totally different industry than the tech industry. Not that we don't use tons and tons of technology, just in terms of the the concept and also the complexity of the energy system is so hard for people to get their head around. I've been doing this for 15 years and it's still hard for me to get my head around it. So it's there's so many little components, so many different pieces you have to piece together that you have to understand kind of how it works to even understand how you're going to have any solutions. And you also have to know that, you know, there's not one switch that can be flipped. It's going to be 50,000 switches mm-hmm. um, that we're going to flip. And that's how even the, the oil and gas industry is built. We don't have like one well somewhere producing 100 million barrels. You know, we have tens of tens of tens of thousands of well, like be it in like Siberia or be it in West Texas, you know, like they're all over the place. And somehow when you get to a gas station, there's gasoline there and yeah. it's not it, it's not so easy. Speaking of that, I mean, we're sitting at, you know, the highest gas prices we've seen. I don't know, in a long time. I well, think the ever. Ad- this is actually the, we're actually higher now than we were. You know, I was trading in, you know, 17 when we hit two sorry, 2007 when we hit the all-time high and that's oil hit an all-time high there 147. Gasoline and what made it seem like kind of bearish at the time or that it was just kind of like a short covering rally was gasoline was sitting right on top of oil price. The gasoline crack, so the price difference between gasoline and oil is like 50 plus dollars, uh, which means what that means, you know, for people not in the space is the demand is there for the gasoline for the time being. And we have not really been investing in refining and refinery expansion. So it's right now, it seems like it's a product led uh, rally. It's really just the, you know, inventories for gasoline are super low inventories for Diesel, this lit. We're also low. removing anything. We're removing Russian oil and gas, right? And then we're also removing Russian refined products I was like say, that's, gasoline. That's, that's been a bigger. That's been actually a bigger problem so far. At least uh, removing their oil is a problem, but you know the U.S. SPR is just oil. Um, international SPRs do have products in it, um, but it's that's a that's a like what used to be when you're trading. You know, you're guessing about like one. Do we have one percent too much oil, or do we have like one percent too little oil? And that could draw because commodities price on the last barrel. And so, you know, when you think about how oil got to minus 40, whatever, we just had a little bit too much. There was no spot to put it. And mm-hmm. so it goes unlimited down. Same thing on the upside. You don't have enough in the short term. There's no solution to that. And we are talking about a country that is the, you know, the second largest producer coming offline. Do I think there's long term solutions to that? There are a bunch. Are there short-term solutions? No, it's going to be chaos. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Do you have any kind of um, kind of projections on anything kind of coming down the pipe? Because it doesn't seem like anything's necessarily changing. The Biden administration has flipped back and forth between uh, we want to do this to hopefully maybe drive down some gasoline price. It always revolves around like federal leases and stuff, which I yep. feel like is a, is a scapegoat. I feel like it's a small part of the conversation. Um, I do think there is some truth to that, but then they're also talking about now we're going to import more from, I don't want to say like, maybe it was Venezuela. Well, they did also or? yesterday just said no to Venezuela. So, okay, like, so like, it's definitely just a, a lot of blind leading blind going on. Yeah. So do you have any, is there, is there anything kind of coming down the pipe? I know we're not, as far as I know, we're not building any new refineries. Uh, a lot of the investment in the existing refineries to kind of keep them up in kind of tip top shape was lacking, but obviously due to the last 10 years of just absolutely no capital being returned, it's just all the capital was completely incinerated. Things have changed. Like there, but nobody was being rewarded for production growth. Nobody was rewarding for investing in refineries. Right. And so I'm thinking about it. You know, it cost me a hundred dollars to fill up my Jeep this morning. Right. Right. And I'm like, 
All right. Love the fact that oil is at, you know, <laughs> yeah. 110, $111 currently. Ga- uh, you know, Nat Gas is at what? Probably $8. Yeah, MCF. $8. That's, that's, almost, um, that's almost even crazy. Hate it at the pump. And, I, right. and then if, if I'm feeling it, I know that a lot, lot of people who are less fortunate are like really, really feeling it. And so I think that's a big question for a lot of people is like, what? what is on the horizon? Like my wife's been asking me, she was like, do you, do you know anything in terms of like, and I was like, I don't, I don't see anything changing yep. in the short term. I see the price even going higher. I saw an article yesterday about gas stations actually preparing for the first time ever to do double digit gas prices. I mean, you think about it, you got those little, those little placard things that you yep. stick up there and there's no slot for like a, for it's like $10, $10 gas, $10, you know? Right. right, right. But if it gets a $10 gas, I mean, I'm really going to have to be thinking about like where I'm going. Yeah, there's a you know? lot of a lot of things to unpack what you said and a lot of very interesting things. I mean, I think um unfortunately what all these administrations in general do is is they go to the lowest common denominator and there's not really any sort of problems being solved. To solve these problems, it requires so just like solving, you know, a climate or anything like that. These are really, really complex problems where you need long-term solutions. The US, you know, biggest energy producer in the world doesn't even have an energy policy, you know, and so people are having to make all these short term decisions. Now, do I think leases is a component? Yes. But then if you have the leases, you don't have pipelines, you know, and so there's so many pieces and components and nothing can be fixed, you know, in a week, in a month, in a a year even. I do think that if we work together over years, there's a lot of solves, you know, Canada came out and said they could produce 900,000 more barrels uh, of oil, you know, with the right kind of components. And so you know, you add that all together, there are a bunch of little solutions. Now, what do I think we are trying to do to try to temper this is you look, you know, I think the Fed was pretty behind the eight ball in terms of talking about how transitory inflation would be. They added more. We had a lot. We had a supply problem, not a demand problem. And the government continued to kind of accelerate uh, demand instead of kind of uh, think about supply. And so that actually made the problem even worse. And so with interest rates going higher, you know, the, the first kind of easiest solve, which is not a great solve, is we push ourselves into a recession, um, you know, globally or domestically. Um, and there's a very high correlation between demand uh, for energy, energy related products um, and economic growth. So that's kind of the, the, the you know, the elephant in the room. Is, is that going to be what we're going to solve here? We've never not had a recession following a doubling in energy prices. Um, mm. You know, now we are a very never, big producer. never, never. Now, listen, that's a long, you know, in 73, we're a major importer, you know, and so whereas today that's less so the case. And so it really from 73 and beyond, you know, people forget that the U.S. was kind of the uh, OG of, of dominance in terms of uh, oil production. You know, 20s, 30s, 40s, we were producing unlimited amounts of oil. That's our debate. We had peak oil concepts, you know, which is, is not a real concept. We have unlimited yeah. oil in the ground. Um, and then we became a massive importer. And so. In 07, when this occurred, we had these prices, you know, we were the largest importer in the world. Now we're, you know, give or take an exporter, especially if you take Canada into account, which one probably should. We're a pretty big exporter. Um, but, you know, I, I, there is no refining solve. There's just, you know, can we limit demand in, in some respect? Um, otherwise, I think we'll continue to see this. Now, you know, what's also hard is think about how many people bought trucks and cars and et cetera in 2020, 2021, you know, F-150, awesome car. Uh, is one of the best-selling cars, maybe the best-selling car in the United States. You know, when you have really big volatility, you know, you, people say, okay, I'm paying a dollar a gallon. Well, you go and you buy, you don't really worry about it. Now we'll see the reverse. But these things take such a long time to really solve. So barring really some sort of economic pullback, I think we're going to be in a pretty high energy price environment for the foreseeable future. I don't see, nor do I think this Russian thing 
should go away. Like, I mean, you think about Germany, think about these countries, how reliant they are on, on this country that is not necessarily particularly friendly to us. Uh, this is going to have very long standing impacts. And so barring a recession, I think we'll be in a situation for a while where we're trying to shore up and fix a lot of these components. And that'll just take a lot of time and money. But I also have no problem, by the way, with the oil and gas industry making a bunch of money. They should. Um, you know, it's not like they're not setting the price of oil. Yeah, it's, that's the most asinine thing. You know? I, was, I was actually going to, me and Colin are going to do a TikTok competition. So go follow me on TikTok. And <laughs> I don't even know what my handle is because I haven't put anything out yet. Uh, we're going to see if you can get to 10,000 followers first. Um, <laughs> and I was going to make one on the on price gouging is what is what everybody's saying in the headlines. And you're seeing a lot of like senators and, and just people in Congress just talking about like, oh, the oil and gas companies are just, you know, padding their pockets. And I'm like, <laughs> if they set the oil and gas prices, why would we, why would we endure what we endured over the last yeah, 10 why years. Why was oil minus if they're the ones setting the prices? I mean, that's kind of gets back to your talking about how are we going to solve this? Well, there are tons of solutions. Um, it's just that it requires people sitting down, understanding it's complex and working through this piece by piece, which requires, you know, again, all sides sitting together and mm -hmm. trying to, you know, it's it's a thousand solutions. You, you have to do a lot of these different solutions. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> Exxon, whoever, these guys are not setting um, global oil prices. So uh, this is supply demand. This is, again, you can't just, it's not a spigot. You can just turn on and turn off. Hit that more production right, button. You're right, yeah. right. <laughs> and, you know, and quite frankly, they have to be responsible. Their responsibility is to their shareholders. You know, these, mm. this is a, a, one of the best things about the United States is we are privately run um, country. You know, if you buy some land, you own your mineral rights. You're incentivized. Okay. We are not Russia. We are not Saudi Arabia. Thank God. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you think about all those pieces, it takes time, it takes incentives. And if you're pulling something out of the ground and you're converting it to something, you know, you shouldn't be converting it into something that is worth less than all the money you put into the ground, you know, and it 100%. takes time to short, takes time to shore that up. Um, and, you know, if they can work together, are there ways where long term, maybe the profits quote unquote, are more moderated? Um, Maybe, but, you know, let's at least try to figure out what the problem and what the solutions are first, and then we can worry about that other stuff later. Well, I think it's safe to say we're uh, we're going to ride this boom for probably quite a few years. Yeah. Um, you know, who, who knows exactly where we'll end up? Is, is there any way that, I mean, you said that, especially following everything that we've, we've seen recently, we've never not had a recession. Are you able to quantify how big or how terrible this how next big, recession I mean, could it, be. I, I, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of FUD out there. And it's like, you never really know how bad will it get. And I think that just, just a few things over the last few years, you're like, like, Oh, like life's pretty good. And some like bad shit happens. Like the hurricanes happen. You're like, Oh shit. Like half Houston is underwater. And then like the freeze happens. And then like a bunch of people die in Texas because we don't yep. have like heat. That's absolutely wild. Right. Uh, the pandemic happens and you're like, what the hell? negative $47 or $37 oil, whatever it was. How bad does this get, do you think? I mean, that's a, a question I could spend like 10 hours kind of talking about. It, it really depends. I'll put it this way. I don't think that we are having lived through and traded through kind of 08. You know, I, I don't think we're in anything like that sort, sort of category. Like, I don't think we're talking about, it's a very, very different situation than, than, it, was, than it was back then. I don't think there's a lot of systemic, overwhelming kind of concerns as much as you know, the Fed just has a blunt instrument and they're really trying to temper demand and the only way to, and they're trying to protect, I mean, listen, the, the bottom 50% of our country is really suffering right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you, if you, you know, there's some stats where something like 40, 50% of the population, if they have a thousand dollar medical bill pop up, 
they're going to go bankrupt. You know, that's not good. And mm-hmm. so when you have prices going up this quickly, gasoline prices, food prices all across the board, you know, something needs to be done to protect people that, that, you know, we drive a lot as Americans and it's having a pretty big impact. So, you know, I think the economy overall is actually fairly healthy. There's 11 million job postings out there. You know, um, it'd be great if our partic- participation rate could get higher. You know, we, it's still very low. People are not really getting back to work yet. So there are some solutions where if people just, you know, started showing, you know, going after some of these openings, I think we can temper it. So I don't think we have a systemic problem. Um, but but I do think if we're not in already a recession right now, I mean, what first quarter was negative GDP, all a recession means is it's so, all these economic terms, right? All a recession mm. means is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Is it possible this one mm-hmm. was negative? So we already hit, so we hit we the first, first quarter. First quarter was negative GDP. Are we on track for negative GDP in the second quarter? You know, like it, it's it's hard to say. Is all, is it's going to be kind of close. I think probably the, it's probably more of like a 2023 um, kind of issue. Um, but getting back to kind of the oil price thing, you know, inventories remain extremely, extremely low. Now, are there a ton of factors? There's, there's always like big headwind factors that could either be supportive or negative. Like, you know, if you could answer, is China going to stick with the zero COVID, you know, crazy policy they have going on or or not? You know, yeah. so China is the largest consumer uh, of energy in the world. So say we lost, you know, there's 100 million barrels rounding of demand and supply every single day. Um, China with their shutdown turned off a million and a half barrels a day of, of demand, you know, mm-hmm. and so that offsets some of this Russia pain that we have going on in terms of loss of supply. They say, you know, who knows whatever they say, but they say that they're, they're they're coming out of that now again. And so there's just these big thematic issues that will be pretty impactful. Um, you then, you know, I don't think Venezuela is coming back anytime soon. I think the Iran thing is going to be a lot of just you know, talk back and forth. I don't really see that coming back soon. But what, but what kind of concerns me to the upside in pricing, because it is a supply problem, is you think about the Arab Spring in 2011, what led to that? It was a tripling of prices of wheat. Um, almost all of the grain that goes to Egypt, that goes to Saudi Arabia, that goes to the Middle East, comes from Ukraine and Russia. Mm-hmm. And so we have not even felt that problem yet. Prices are higher, but we just missed the planting season. So the vast majority of wheat that got planted uh, in uh, did not get planted in Ukraine. I think they're saying at least half the crop didn't get planted. And so there's a lot of things that could go wrong. You know, That's the, the scariest part to me, I think, yeah. especially seeing uh, complete runs on, you know, the grocery stores and, and going over the last couple of years and being like, I can't buy meat. Like there's nothing here. Right. And the shelves is being completely empty. And so, yeah, gasoline prices is one thing, you know, being able to drive around is totally a luxury. It's not necessarily essential. I mean, you got to get to work, but maybe you can work from home. Eating is absolutely essential. You definitely need, you need to, you need you need to, to eat. eat. And we're seeing this, you know, this, this baby formula shortage. Maybe that's a totally different problem. That's like but- an Abbott-specific kind of plant thing. But, you know, it, it, what it does come back to is resiliency. And I think what we hopefully are learning the lesson of is you need to have some resiliency baked into your system. And, I, and if, if we're looking for positive outcomes from COVID, what I'm hoping is some of the positive outcomes is we re-domesticate um, a lot of our production and safety lines because things that are critical we should be making here or be making with someone that we know is a close friend of ours and is going to support us. And maybe that's South America, maybe you know somewhere closer, somewhere that we got to help out as well as domestically as much as possible, which is actually starting to happen. You know, like w- one of the um, one of our customers is uh, is, is manufacturing um, a, a whole bunch of uh, you know lettuce type things and so on and so forth. You know, what we've seen is historically everyone always thought that. We must build as large scale as possible and then disseminate it out. 
with technology advancements, you can actually build a lot more small scale um, uh, projects that are much closer to your supply homes and they're economically competitive, especially with gasoline prices uh, where they're at. And so I do think that we're going to continue to see this rebirth of, of manufacturing in the United States and we should do everything we can to support it. I think I think we have to, we have right? to. especially looking at what you just said of, you know, the the, the lower 50 percent of Americans today are really struggling. And then you look over at China and they've literally brought more people out of poverty than probably any other time in history before. There's Which I think huge... they owe us quite a bit for. And, you know, we don't you know, it's like. The United States in the seventies, when we kind of opened up and China opened up, and we brought them in to to our country, like or, or to into our economic system, if you will. You know, the U.S. was the by far most dominant country in, in the world mm -hmm. in the seventies. Now, I'd like to say we still are. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of, of of you know that people talk saying that we're not because, quite frankly, it's the best country in the world, and and we still very much so are. Um, but what we did do was we opened up this whole economy exported jobs, you know, kind of mm. over to them to do work that we weren't really doing here. And that led to this disinflationary cycle, you know, like why did prices in general kind of on everything decline from the 70s up until very recently? Like, you know, likewise, when you look at why was the Fed able to print so much money in 2008, 9, 10, and, and keep that going through a very strong economy, it's because you had all this disinflationary impacts coming from exporting manufacturing. And so part of the Difficulty is, well, prices will go up if we can do so. But I think if we have some national national unity and focus on you know supporting each other, there's a lot of really good long term things that can come from it. I think that that would be like it, it doesn't seem sexy, which is why I think I'd be interested in it. But just like investing heavily into like just the the manufactured here in, in the United States, you're seeing more of it with like micro brands, particularly it's really clothing brands or, um, you know, I think of guys like Jocko Willink, um, you know, and him building origin and all these other uh, veteran kind of owned and run businesses where they're putting a lot of veterans to work and they're doing a lot of things that would normally be exported to China. I think we'll see a lot more of that. I, I think we'll see a lot more of that. I think that's, if we're looking for a positive to this inflation, you know, I, I think, and or higher energy prices, like it means that the transportation and the cost to get it here, you know, it was like $2,000 a container and now it's like $25,000 a container. And so, you know, as we start to see, okay, well, not only is it maybe price competitive, um, but also like you get the things when you need, you're supporting American jobs, then they can spend more money, so on and so forth. And so, you know, I am overall pretty optimistic about the future, you know, if we can kind of come together and work together and focus on the things that really matter. Dude, this was a hell of a conversation. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I love it, man. All right, guys, if you uh, like this, hey, send it to your friends. Um, we went we went totally off the rails, but I love it. It was so it was such a just like a just a flowing, I don't know, just deep dive into into life. Um, yeah, so send us your friends. Uh, we'll catch you guys in the next episode.